hello, everyone, and welcome to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. I'm Carol Malinsky, member of the Servant Leadership Institute, and it's my pleasure this morning to have with us Mr. Art Barter, our founder. How are you doing? I'm good. It's great to see you. I'd like to be sitting in the office with you. Yep, me too. And I was thinking, you know, reflecting about it yesterday, and it's been since March 19th was when we started this shelter in place. So all of SLI has been working from their homes, which is a blessing in that we're able to do that technologically. Yep. Art has been leading two companies, and for Daytron, it's still very much business as usual. Except for the cleaning aspect of the business. Tell us a little bit about the cleaning. Well, you know, when we, we uh, when the orders came out, we're in California for everybody that's listening. And when the governor and the county here in San Diego came out with orders, we were uh, deemed an essential business because of the communications we manufacture and produce for the military. And we have a large defense contractor we do business with, and they flowed down that same requirement. But that made us sit down and think about how we're going to keep the common surfaces clean. And we have doors within the building. That's the first thing we thought about was doorknobs, push bars. Uh, so the first thing we did was limited access to the building from the outside to two, only two doors. And we have a 100,000 square foot building. So employees can come in from two doors only. Uh, we locked down our lobby. We don't allow visitors from the outside, so we just stay within the community. And all of our internal doors in the company, uh, some of them have security on them. We decided to open them up so people didn't have to use the door handles and the push bars. And uh, so we don't have any doors that are closed. And, I thought that was a fantastic you know, that's been idea when I heard. Yeah, that's the most common <laughs> surface that everybody uses. And then we have some people that work in facilities, and they've become a cleaning group that uh, they wear masks all day long. Uh, they walk the facility and clean uh, common surfaces that uh, we can't just do away with. Kitchens, coffee, conference rooms, etc they get cleaned about four to five times a day and so in my office i'm in the office today doing this and milo our facilities guy comes in with his mask on wipes down my chairs wipes down my door wipes everything down and i see him probably see him three times today total maybe four so we're cleaning we we probably smell better than we've ever smelled as a manufacturing (laughs) company because we're cleaning four times a day uh closed our gym couldn't do that we have cubicles uh some are six to seven feet tall so that works in our favor uh we have a second floor so we limit access to the stairway to one person at a time going up or down Mm. so that part you know we just tried to limit the number of doors people can use and open up all the doors uh inside the company and Mm. We did some research on cleaning supplies, and what we found, we got a little creative. Uh, I got to give Milo some credit. Uh, he actually went down to a pool supply company and bought chlorine and mixed our own cleaner. This upcoming week, it looks like people are going to be able to come back to work. We have a requirement that you have to wear a mask, and you know, if you're within six feet, you have to put your mask on. You have to have it with you all the time. So it's really making us rethink how we do business inside the building. 
And you know, it's interesting that the interaction from the outside world uh, hasn't had a great impact. And so those are the things that we're, we're doing. There's a bunch of other little things, but those were the big things. How do we keep the common surfaces clean or take them out of use uh, was the first step. And yeah. so everybody adjusted well. Everybody's thankful that they're able to work through this. And that's been a real plus for us. For yeah. us. Yeah. That's really, that's really been wonderful. And so many, unfortunately, are not able to, you know, our prayers and our thoughts every night at the Malinsky dinner table. Those people are remembered and held up. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. And things so far, so good. No, yeah. no cases within the yeah. Datron family, which is great. SLI, uh, unfortunately, Servant Leadership Institute, you know, wasn't classified as an essential business, which you know, go figure. Okay, don't even get me started on that one. Okay, for people that are listening. Uh, <laughs> Uh, servant leadership has got to be essential, but we're non-essential in our county, and so we had to close down the Servant Leadership Institute, cancel classes, and most of our clients who, you know, we did training, consulting on-site at their company primarily, and we had a couple of speaking opportunities that we had booked. Those have all obviously been canceled, and nobody's traveling, and so it's uh, it's been pretty interesting. Uh, in that business so anyway back to our subject so anyway kind of asked a question and i went off on a reason for being here (laughs) and that is to talk about chapter eight of the art of servant leadership too and it's called sustainability key principle to your long-term success and i want to open up with a little paragraph that'll sort of tell you the perspective we're coming from in this session. We've told the fun part, how we bought Daytron World Communications, changed it to a servant-led organization, and grew it into a very successful company that has impacted the lives of many people. It's a great success story, and people love to hear that part, but mission drift happens. Sometimes when you least expect it, we are compelled to tell that part of our story as well. We want to help you recognize the warning signs and avoid the pitfalls that lead to culture shift. So let's start out by looking at the definition of mission drift. If you could explain it to us and specifically how it applies in business. Yeah, you know, I, I start first started learning about this from a book called uh, Mission Drift, written by Peter Greer and Chris Hurst. You know, at first I thought, well, we've done such a great job, we're not going to experience any mission drift. And one of the things they talk about, it isn't if you will have mission drift, it's when you will have mission drift. <laughs> and, you know, it, it happens when you least expect it. So uh, we have values in the company. and We've taught people about servant leadership. And the interesting thing about when you change the culture is when you get pressed to do things quickly, uh, maybe things aren't going that well in your business, people tend to go back home where they feel comfortable. And the power model just feels real comfortable at leaders, right? And, And so we drift back into that without even knowing about it. Some of the comments is, you know what, I don't have time to work through this. I'm under a deadline. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Well, that's what power leaders do. And that's, that's okay in some instances. But the difference between power and servant is we 
use those opportunities to teach people and mentor people when we make those command decisions. But when we look at our values, you know, we, we say, which value are, are we drifting away from? And let's talk about our most important one. Our families come first. You know, at times we look at it and we want our people to work overtime or we get a hot project and we need to get something done and, and we come across like you've got to work this weekend. You know, that's always going to happen in business, but how you do it is uh, important. How often you do it is important. You know, in, in culture shift, when you have trained everyone about behaviors and you've helped people change, when you have new people come into the company, uh, how effective you are in training those employees and how fast they get integrated, if they don't latch on to our servant leadership culture and we let them operate in the way they want to operate, that's mission drift. Mm-hmm. because we're drifting away what we believe in. We're allowing that behavior to continue because that person has a great technical resume. But, you know, when you bring in new leaders, uh, and that's what I talk about in the book, is when we brought in a high-level leader who came from the power world, looked like he had a great servant's heart, and I, I still believe today he does. But his comfort level was in that old world, not in the servant leadership world. And when leaders start doing what they feel comfortable doing versus doing the uncomfortable things, that's when the mission drift starts to drift away from how you set up your culture, your mission, your purpose, and your values. So uh, best example I can give you is we don't believe in debt. We want to be self-sustaining. That's part of our, our mission and purpose. Uh, if the business gets tough or we need to borrow money, hey, we'll borrow money, but we usually pay it back in a couple of months. If we were to draw down on our line of credit and not pay it back for a couple of years or not pay it back at all, then we've drifted away from our mission and purpose of being a self-sustaining company. And so, you know, it, most of it has to do with culture and how people treat each other and behave. Uh, and if we don't have trust within each other, you start mistrusting and people get into, well, I've got to point fingers at somebody else because I don't want to get in trouble. You're now experiencing mission drift. And I experienced that firsthand when we brought in some new higher level people who we didn't take enough time to help them change their behaviors into our culture. Yeah. And just because people say they're good servant leaders, you don't necessarily have to believe it because most of the time they still have a lot to learn. Um, So I would really encourage everybody to get the book because it really gets down to detail. But for us, we had to realize that our culture was fragile. And culture is fragile. That's the best way I can put it. We work really hard to have a good culture, a great culture. When that culture starts to change, whether it's new people we bring into it or we become complacent, we don't put as much attention and emphasis on it, et cetera, et cetera. That's when you start to drift away from your mission, purpose, and values as a company. Yeah. And, you know, I was as you were talking, I was thinking you mentioned that, you know, for a leader, it's easier to go back to the power model. Well, in a lot of cases, for the individual contributor, it's easier as well. It's just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? right. It's, it's very clear cut. It's, it's the easier way to go a lot of times. So yeah, it can affect, I think, you know, at every level in the company. Since that culture is fragile, it doesn't take much. It, it doesn't. And, and, you know, what we're going through today, you know, even today with the COVID-19 and having people work at home, 
you know, we're very relationship driven. And when you don't have that interface all the time, uh, our biggest concern is what's happening to our culture today. Mm-hmm. With, uh, we, I think we're up to 30% of our workforce is working from home. Uh, so we don't have that interaction. Yeah, we're getting more things done, but guess what? We feel disconnected and that has an impact on our culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're getting a lot done, but at what price? Exactly. Yeah. This mission drift that took place, what did it look like at Daytron and why do you think it happened? Well, I think for us is we brought in um, a couple things. I think we brought in a high-level individual who had a great technical background, great experience. He brought in some individuals, and we didn't spend enough time training those individuals. And and part of it fell on my shoulders because, you know, I, I talk with people a lot before I hire them. And we had great conversations and very similar interests, very similar beliefs. But the world that he dealt in was the power world. And that transition is very difficult to do when you're brought in at a higher level. And for me, I think the biggest mistake that I made that I pass on to everybody is when you bring someone onto your staff, I bring on a senior person on my senior level staff, I should have stayed closer to that individual to make sure and help them and coach them through the transition of entering and being effective in our culture. Mm-hmm. And my belief was, I, I think it's better for the organization not to see both of us in a building. And that was a big mistake on my part. I should have stayed very close, should have mentored and helped. We had one-on-ones all the time and we talked, but I moved my office to another building. And that was a big mistake on my part. Some of the things that I've seen happen, I just saw it this week, is you know we operate under a quality system called ISO. And what's interesting is when people change positions and you replace a name on an org chart, sometimes the culture acts in a way that I don't have to follow the old procedures anymore. And so we've had a couple of things happen in the last couple of weeks where either because we're working remotely or because we had one person on our senior team change in the last couple of months that the procedures don't tend to get followed because maybe the person that's now involved in the process is has an authority title and people are afraid to deal with that person right and people sometimes will look at changes in people in the organization or or reorganizations to get away from what they're supposed to be doing to doing things the way they want to i like when one of my uh, ceo friends down here in san diego does in his company he'll hire new people and the requirement he has is you cannot change anything in your process during the first 90 days. I want you to learn everything about the company. Mm. And then once you've learned your position and understand the culture, then we'll start entertaining changes. And I think that's a great approach. It may be six or 12 months for a culture. And then when you get complacent, you get too busy or things get challenging, the COVID-19, we had to basically turn our model upside down, couldn't travel around the world. We have relationships with people. We're doing everything via Zoom or telephone or WhatsApp and text messages and all this kind of neat stuff. And how do you keep your culture in those communication vehicles? And it's very difficult. Some people, including myself, will get complacent about success and sit back and go, you know what? Hey, we're doing pretty good. I may not have to worry about that level of detail that I would have when things are going tough. And I think that's when things started going tough for us after our success, we just believed it was going to keep going. And because of the type of business we're in, 
programs go up and down over time, all the time. And when you get in that downside of a program, you've got to replace it with another big program. Mm -hmm. And in those down valleys is when we started to realize and had time to look at our culture that, hey, we, we kind of got away from it. We got complacent on what we're doing. And uh, those were the things that were the tough ones for us. And then you mentioned it when individuals start not working with the team or maybe a department is now not interfacing with their counter departments and customers they serve internally. And you get back to these silos where people are, are starting to troop down into their group because times are tough and they just want to make sure that their process stay in place and in tough times when things get challenged, people want to make sure they're not going to get in trouble, right? They're not going to be called out. And so the silos tend to come back and that part is tough. For us, when we had to reduce our workforce and people started meeting behind closed doors, when leadership spends too much time behind closed doors, what, what happens, Carol? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, does it impact culture? I can tell you it will, people will know, you know, within about three seconds, if there's too much closed door talk and very, very soon we call these non-useful thoughts. The buzz starts around the, the facility. We're going to have a layoff. So they go all the way from, you know, two leaders may be talking about something totally having nothing to do with layoffs or anything like that, but people immediately go to the worst case scenario. Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, for some folks, it makes them feel more important mm -hmm. to be able to say, yeah, well, I know why they're back there and behind that closed door that we must be having a layoff. Yep. Yep. And, you know, they don't mean to do harm, but a great deal of harm is created when that happens. So for leaders, you know, if there's any way you can avoid meeting where people can see you behind the closed doors, please do that. Yeah, it, you know, it's, I had one leader, we spent a lot, a lot of time training people on how to confront people in a servant leadership environment, right? We have six steps and we teach those six steps. And when times got tough and we started to see that mission drift, I was challenging leaders. Why are we seeing this mission drift? We have a responsibility to keep this culture intact. And when we started talking about confronting people, our definition of confronting within the servant leadership culture, people would go, well, I don't want to confront people because in their mind, they were using the outside definition of confront, mm -hmm. which just means you tell people they're wrong and I'm right, and you're going to do it my way, versus the internal definition we used in confronting. And some people just cut through the chase and go back to their old power world of confronting people because it's quicker, it's faster, it's easier, because you don't have to go through the six steps we go through, and part of it's listening, letting the individual talk about what's going on, you know, why they feel the way they do, and, you know, sometimes leaders just want to blow by that, but when they go back to their old ways, they start using words in the old definition rather than the definition of what's inside the culture of the company, and confronting is a great example of that. We look at confronting as a way to coach and mentor people, where you go to the outside world and you say confront. Some people will flat out tell you, I want you to do this, and if you don't do this, I'll find somebody who will, right? Right. And that can slip in in all kinds of shapes and forms, because when times get tough, people are worried about their future. They're not sure what's going on. They start protecting themselves and protecting their data. We've seen it all over the place where data is seen as power. 
if I don't share the data, then, then the management team can't get rid of me. And, you know, like when you get to that level, it's all about trust. Your trust starts to go down within the organization. And, you know, you talk about silos, complacency. Uh, you start worrying about yourself versus your team. You're tying a project to one individual. I can't lose that individual because they're so important to the team. It's all about I start shrinking down and looking and protecting myself instead of working as part of the team again. And when you're being successful, that's easy to keep in place because everybody's having a great time. When business gets tough, that's when the old behaviors come out. And, you know, I've experienced that. Times get tough and I'm under stress. There are days that, you know, I need to back away. And we'll be transparent today. We were supposed to do this podcast a week ago. Uh, we do them usually on Tuesday afternoon. And last week I had a, a difficult Tuesday morning, was frustrated. And I knew I was better off for us to reschedule this podcast than for me to get on it and let my frustration show. And, you know, in, in a different culture and environment, we just blow through our calendar and go from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next, not worry about the results and how we come across. I got to get through my schedule today. And when I got frustrated, my old thoughts and behaviors come out of the, the woodwork and I've trained myself. It's better to back away and not do something in that mode, in that mindset. You know, it's better to step away rather than continue to go through it and have it come across the wrong way. Yeah. Right. And right. and you learn that as a uh, as a leader, as an individual, because when that mission drift starts, it usually starts with you as the leader. Yeah. And it's the toughest part to really get down and talk about. Well, you know, it's very tempting, I would think, for a leader to let certain things go because times are tough. So you're looking at your values and you kind of go, well, you know, we could maybe just kind of fudge this one a little bit and things will get better because, you know, we're not spending money on a certain thing or training for people, whatever it may be. Usually training, unfortunately, usually gets hit first, but that's very likely to occur as well when you have those bad situations happen. Right, right. So, you know, a couple of things, and I'll get a little bit more specific here, is when we started having a tough time back in, I think it was 13, 14, and I got sick. I was in the hospital for a month and was basically away from the business for six months. And during that time frame, I wasn't there to help keep the culture in place. And I'm not saying I'm the key to the culture, but when a new high-level person comes in, people look at it and say, I have to follow what that individual says. So one of the things when I got came back to work after six months was what's going on with their training program, servant leadership training, Culture says, well, you know, times were tough. We didn't have the money to do training. So we stopped the training in the servant leader. Well, it's the basis of our culture. And how many times have you and I heard, Carol, from the people that we serve and consult with is, what's the first thing people cut out when budgets get tight? They cut out training. It's a great opportunity to train people. So I came back and training wasn't happening. And then the second thing, you know, we donate 10% of our operating profit every quarter into a charitable fund. And then we let our employees give it away. And I came back after six months and it took me probably three or four months to look at the charitable fund activity again. And I found out that we had a deposit that was supposed to go into the account that was almost nine months old. And I went, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And it was the same response. Well, times are tough. We didn't I said, guys, this is the core of our culture. We donate 10% when we make money. When we don't make money, we don't contribute. And I had to come back and say, we're going to contribute this money. 
And so those are the training and the money we put into our charitable fund wasn't being followed because we were going through tough times. And when we're going through tough times, that's when you really should stick to your values uh, and make sure, you know, the glue stays in the company and keeps everybody together. So yeah. those are a couple of things that I talk about in the book. So how do you hold people accountable to the culture of the organization? Well, that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, how do you, how do you measure trust? And we measure trust a, a couple of different ways, but mostly a trust index. We talk about that in the book. Uh, we'll do some surveys. Uh, one of the things I looked at was how many times were people coming to me and asking me to be involved in a discussion about what we should be doing? And when times are tough, uh, what was interesting is people most of the time don't want their, their boss involved in that because those are some tough talks and you have to change what you're doing. Maybe you have to change your business model a little bit. And those aren't fun times. So people, hey, it's no fun anymore. So they kind of, you know, this happens leadership. You put your, you know, ostrich head in the sand and hope it goes away. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but how do you hold people accountable, you know? We looked at behaviors. How am I holding myself accountable to doing what I say I'm supposed to be doing? And be honest with yourself, what are the areas that I'm slipping away from? When I look back at what I tended to do is when times got tough and I was under pressure, and those times you don't sleep very well, uh, I had a tendency of my old behaviors that I've been trained for under for you know, 20, 25 years, all of a sudden came to the surface and that's how I was acting. I didn't believe I was acting that way, but I had to have people like yourself and other people say, hey, Art, you know, you really need to think about what you're doing. Or if people don't want to talk to you because you really got bad, you go to meetings and you're the only one talking because <laughs> everybody's afraid to talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> for us, we had to start looking at our behavior. How, are we holding ourselves uh, accountable for serving people first, for building a yeah. trustful organization, yeah. uh, living the values that we spent some time training, the servant leadership culture. And, you know, we always tell people, if we can't help you improve a measurement you're already measuring, look at the measures. And in tough times, engagement goes down. Your response to things goes down. Pick something that will help you hold people accountable. But really, you've got to start with an open conversation. And you can talk about when we're going through that time, how'd your small group operate, Carol? And good times, that small group is a lot of fun. Well, yeah. But, you know, when things things aren't so fun, first of all, there's there has to be commitment to stick to it. And I really, you know, during this whole time, since I've been with SLI for five years, basically, I still meet with my small group. People stuck to that. It was, it was uh, um, really cool to see that even through the hard times, there were groups that were very dedicated. But you're right, the conversations within, I'm sure, can't quote those because of confidentiality. That's true. <laughs> very good, Carol. Yep. What goes but, on in small group stays in small group. Yep. But you know that there, there were tough tough conversations, you know, and, you know, I'm sure people sharing with one another about how difficult um, it was to deal with, uh, especially when you have people that you are responsible for who may be coming to you and, and wanting to know if they're going to be okay. Yep. And those are, those are really, really hard conversations. I don't believe that most companies realize that they need to defend their culture. Right. They look at culture as, oh yeah, we, of course we have a culture. 
where there's a there's a plaque around here somewhere with that stuff on it but to actually defend your culture because you know it's the right thing to do or the right culture to have that's a that's a really tough thing that's an everyday thing yeah it is and you know after i went back and looked at that time period where i was away and it took me a couple of years really to reflect and think about it because I'm, I'm looking at the person in the mirror. I have to start with that person first. And I started to realize that I hadn't done a good enough job so the culture could survive and move forward without me. And, you know, that's one of the key things to me is I want the servant leadership culture to continue whether I'm here or not. And if I'm developing leaders, I don't need to be in the building in order for the, the company to be successful and run appropriately. Right. And I think when I look back at that, I had some strong leaders, but I didn't have them in some of the key areas that I needed the stronger leaders in. And they were still going through their own transformation, which doesn't make them bad, but they were just not strong enough to help the new leader understand that this part of our culture is not up for discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, that's hard. That's hard to yeah. tell authority, right? Because we're so, Absolutely. you know, and, and, you know, I went to college and the 70s and what were we were taught to challenge authority but doing it when your job is on the line or you think your job is on the line right. that's, a, that's a different story well i also think that there were probably folks who felt that the way to help was to put their allegiance with the new leader mm-hmm. right yep. and so in some cases you know that went on i'm sure and understandably so um but when it came down to the cultural things now they're confused right well well, this is my new leader but you know i should be upholding these things over here right Um, so that must have been confusing but i also want to point out something this was your first time in implementing servant leadership yep (laughs) you know so it was new territory for you as well. And so I don't think, while I agree with you 100%, we all have to look at ourselves and look at our behaviors um, and hold ourselves accountable. We also have to remember that we've never experienced anything like this before. And this was radical change. Right, right. It was. It was a time that we hadn't experienced in our servant leadership journey yet. And so it was like we were going through the journey again for the first time because now we've got to deal with this this culture in a time when the business isn't performing very well. Right. Um, And how do you treat each other with dignity and respect when times are tough? And that's a challenge for people. You remember the time we did the Lego shipbuilding exercise? Because we had some new people at our quarterly leadership meeting, we also were operating back in the silo environment. And so we decided to do a team building event where we mimicked our business process from the time a customer gives us a you know, request for quote or price, issues a bid requirement, we have to respond to it, uh, how we got that order in, how we built the product, how we had to test it get through our quality inspection process and sell it and deliver it. So we we went through that entire process in a day. And what we were building was we were building cargo ships out of Legos. And so we put together a, a team event that says, okay, this company wants to buy some ships. Here's our RFQ. Here's the requirements. Here's the bid process. We used text messages to get out some stuff because 
That's the world we, we live in, emails, etc. And we did that because it helped people who hadn't been around us for a while or new people on the team to understand our business process. And how we dealt with each other during that process was just as important, how the teams worked together, passed off from our sales support group into planning, into manufacturing, into our final quality and delivery. And we did that to get out of our silos, to teach people how to get out of our silos and what was important and have them understand the business process that we're looking for and what other groups have to deal with in their own little world, right? So everybody's got their own thing. And I remember the, the best thing that came out of that, I think, when, when people went through the process is they had a lot of fun learning about the process. We helped some of the new people in the room get more involved in our business process so they understood what we went through. But part of the testing requirement was somebody said on one team, hey, we have to test these things to see if they float. Now, we're building a Lego-based cargo ship. And you know, it was probably, what, two and a half feet long? Oh, yeah. And uh, after having a lot of laughs watching people put it together, across from the building we're at was a pond. And so one of the teams decided to take it across the street, float it in the pond, take a video of it, and come back and showed the test inspector that our boat, our ship, actually floats. Now, what we loved about that was it also showed creativity on the team's part. And when that creativity comes out and people work together in that creativity, it helps reinforce the culture that we have. And we had to buy two Lego sets that, of ships. And that was the cost of that training program. And the, and the times were tough, so we weren't spending a lot of money on training. Right. So guess what we did? We adjusted and we thought differently out of the box. And we came up with something we could have fun with, but also teach the team about our process and how we do business in this culture. And I think we talk about that a little bit in the book, even share some pictures of sitting around the table after the ships were completed. But, um, you know, you have to have fun holding yourself accountable. It can't always be, hey, you did this wrong. You have to compliment people. You know, when we were starting Servant Leader, we had leaders talk about what they did right and what they had challenges with. And as people trusted each other more, they talked about their their shortcomings and got help from the team. And you have to do the same thing when times are tough. You have to be able to sit down, have an open conversation with the team in a safe environment, i.e. small groups, and help each other through that process so you can be more effective with the rest of the company. It's an awesome thing to see somebody, you know, I was in planning. For me to feel comfortable to say to someone in engineering, is there some, you know, you've got a low, low measurement in this particular thing. Is there something I can do to help you? Right, right. Whatever it may be. Is there something my team can do to help you? Right. So that we can raise that measurement because we all bought into it and we were all willing to take that chance. That doesn't happen instantaneously. And as we've talked about today, it's easy to lose it, but it's very, very rewarding. And it kind of leads me to what I think part of your answer may be to the last question. And that is you were faced with the decision to either turn the culture around or accept it. You chose to turn it around. Why? Well, you know, some of it's personal. Uh, we bought the company. We put a lot of things on the line when we bought the company, a lot of things. Um, we invested a lot of money in training. Um, we, I think we spent close to 500000 developing the servant leadership training that we did internally. 
And I wasn't willing to let that investment go. And, you know, in, in a traditional business sense, if you buy a $500,000 piece of equipment, you expect to get X number of years performance out of it. You maintain it, you fix it when it's broken. And, you know, with my finance and operations background, I went, you know what? I, I need to maintain this. I need to fix it. I need to get it back on track. And for me personally, I wasn't willing to let the culture slip into an environment where the investment we made, the amount of time we spent, the amount of behavior change we went through, it wasn't worth giving it up. Yeah, I could have sat back and said, I can't control it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got new people. They're stronger than I am. And you go, you know what? I, I'm not willing to let this go because I really believe in this type of culture and leadership. And that's when your beliefs in something really get tested. Do I re really believe that this servant leadership can survive in good times and difficult times? Absolutely, I do. And that was a turning point for me at that point in time is, do I believe this culture is the best culture for the company when the times were difficult? And so it was looking myself in the mirror and say, I'm not ready to give this up. I, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to get more involved. I'll take the reins back. We made some changes. Some people didn't like the changes we made because they really liked what was going on. Uh, with the new leadership. And you know what? It wasn't in accordance with our culture. And the people who were letting that slip too easily were ones that, to me, I had to invest more time with to help them really ingrain that behavior in themselves, in their heart. doesn't make them bad people. And I want to stress that it, they weren't bad people. But culture is fragile and your mission will drift. It's not a question of if it will drift. It will drift. And are you going to be strong enough that when that drift happens to turn it around and undo that drift and get back to what you really believe your company is all about? I never lost the belief in the company. And, you know, we talked about accountability a little bit ago. And people would challenge me and say, well, you know, this financial measure doesn't make sense. This one, you're not performing very well. And I'd listen about all the things that were going uh, in the wrong direction. And then I'd ask the question, how many people did we serve in the last three months, six months, nine months? And for us, we looked at our charitable work. How many people did we serve? In our mission and purpose as we want to positively impact the lives of others. It doesn't say that you have to give away $10,000 to positively impact that life. You can give $100 away when times are tough and still have an impact on people's lives. So it isn't about the dollar amount. Is Are you helping the same amount of people? Mm -hmm through all the difficulties. Now, turn it into a business perspective. Do you have the same number of customers when times are difficult? Do you really have an honest discussion on, if you don't, why are customers leaving you? Why are you losing certain customers around the world when others have decided to stay? You're not as strong in your culture in that part of the world or part of the country you're serving. So you look at the number of customers you have. One of the things we'd like to focus on is how many customers were having problems with our equipment in the field? How many returns were we getting from customers? Mm -hmm. What was the extent? What was the root cause of those problems? We call out-of-box failures where you pull a radio out of a box and it won't even turn on. Uh, we started looking at those a little bit closer and it became important to us if we saw the number of customer complaints go up, that was an indication to us that maybe our workforce wasn't engaged or we weren't doing training or we weren't giving people the tools they need because times were tough. We were short on money. Mm. 
So everybody cuts cuts out and says, well, you just keep that tool going and et cetera. So there's a lot of different things, but I wasn't really deep down. I wasn't ready to give up on the culture because I believed in what it was about. And my life was changed to such a degree personally that I didn't want to go back to where I came from. Because I know when I look back and was honest with myself, I wasn't a very happy person and I wasn't really fun to be around. And I didn't want to give that up. And I think there were a lot of people in the company that believed the same thing. And so we decided to get back to our roots, get back to some training. We did some refresher courses and got people up to speed, got back to training new hires. You know, my, my company doesn't have my name on it, so it's not that personal. We built something special here. We and everybody was involved in that. And I don't want to let people down by letting the culture go back to what it was. I wanted to believe in the future. And you know what? We're, we're still doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're helping people. We're helping our customers. Uh, we're there when we need them. And yeah, we're not the size we used to be. But you know what? We're still serving the same amount of people in the community. And that's what it's all about. Serve your customers, serve your community, serve your employees, make sure you're living by your values and don't lose sight of your mission and purpose. And don't let it slip away and say there isn't anything you can do about it. There is something you can do and you got to make that decision to not go back to your old ways. So for me, long story short, I wasn't ready to give up on my belief that servant leadership was the right way to lead for the rest of my life. I wasn't ready to give that up. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. And I'm glad you were able to spend this time with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, Carol. And, you know, like, like you said earlier, it'd be a lot more fun if we were in the studio together. We adapt. We adapt. Yep. <laughs> yep, we do. So, folks out there, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And in about 30 days, we will be back with another chapter of The Art of Servant Leadership 2. Art, anything you'd like to say in parting with our, our listeners? Well, you know, we're in some very interesting times right now with COVID-19. I think everybody around the world is looking at doing things differently. And I'll leave this with people. You know, the title of the chapter, Key Principles to Your Long-Term Success. With the difficulties we're going through, don't give up on your culture. Don't give up on who you believe yourself and your company are, your department, whatever it might be. Believe that you can continue in this different world. You've got to do something different. You've got to change the business model. You've got to be really concerned about the health of your employees. You've got to make sure you abide by uh, laws. And California is called HIPAA, and it has to do with you can't discuss medical conditions with people. So how do you make sure people don't come to work sick and maybe have a virus that you really don't want in the building? And you've got to do that with the respect. So in these times that are very challenging for us, especially here in the United States, we feel like we're losing some freedoms, but we have to keep people safe. And that requires us to look at our business model, look at ourselves, and requires us to be different in order to ensure your culture survives this in the long term. And it won't be the first time, and it won't be the last time you face this. It just has a different name on it. This one's called COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So You'll get through this. You'll improve your business model. You can work on your culture and improve that. And I think our culture will be a little bit stronger when we come out of this because we've had to change how we do business. And when we do that for the positive and people feel good about what you're doing, your culture is going to survive that. And your culture will survive all the challenges we have today. So don't give it up. Don't let it go by the wayside and use COVID-19 as excuse. Use it as a springboard to do things better in your company by looking at a different way of doing business. So 
those are my parting words. Don't let your culture slip away. Wow. Okay, great. That's a great message for everybody. And thanks once again for listening, folks. And we'll be back with you real soon. Have a All great right, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. To purchase any of Art's books or to learn more about the Institute, please visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. Stay safe out there and keep an ear out for the next episode. SLI Podcast, signing off.